Well, we're back into our sermon series called Consecrate Your Life. We're always trying to do that as Christians. We wanna be more and more consecrated, more and more sold out, more and more given over to God. And the book of Haggai is our book for study today. It's just two chapters. I think we have about one more week in it. And we're in Haggai chapter two, verses uh, 10 to 19. So feel free to find your way there. It might take you a little while if you're not used to reading from Haggai, but it's basically, if you find the gospel of Matthew, it's three books back from the tail end of the, the old covenant scriptures. Well, when I, when I was a kid, one of my favorite guys in the whole world was my grandpa O'Brien, my mom's dad. Just a wonderful man. He was, he was always such an encouragement and support. And we would often go to his house on Sundays. Uh, we would go for visits there. And my grandpa O'Brien had what you would call a green thumb. You know what that is, right? He could grow anything. He was a welder by day but he had various greenhouses on his property and he would grow flowers and vegetables. And I remember on a few occasions being invited along with him to the market in St. Thomas where he would sell cut flowers and he would sell vegetables to the public. Some people are, you know, it seems unable to grow anything. We call them black thumbs, but Grandpa O'Brien really was a green thumb. And I never saw a plant wither under his care. Well, left alone, we all have black thumbs when it comes to morality. We are depraved, we are rebellious, but God has a green thumb. God is the one who is the source of our spiritual life and our hope. And the closer we draw to God, the more we find spiritual life and hope, and the more we are able to, instead of withering, flourish and ultimately grow strong in Christ and bear much fruit for his honor and glory. Under God's care, just like a plant under a good gardener. Under God's care, when we obey him, blessings always flow. Life is just always better when we are obedient to God. When you obey him and you serve him, you can anticipate greater days ahead. You can anticipate more of his presence, more sanctification, more growth in Christ-likeness, and more blessings. This is the message that Haggai delivered to the people of God as they obediently responded to God's call to rebuild the temple. So what's the backstory? The nation of Israel had been taken off into Babylonian captivity for some seven decades. They were starting to return to the land of Israel. God had let them be taken into captivity because of their rebellion against him. They were coming back into the land of Israel. They had spent quite a bit of time planting their own fields, replanting their own vineyards building fancy houses. God came and confronted them and he said, look, not a problem that you're building houses, but my temple's still in ruins. The place where you're supposed to worship me and I reveal the sharp point of my presence is still in ruins. So get to it. And the good news story of Haggai is that people immediately responded. God delivered these sermons through the prophet Haggai. The people immediately responded and the Israelites brought their tools, their equipment, their resources, their lunch boxes, their thermoses, and they showed up on the job site. And for several months now, they'd been clearing rubble and starting to rebuild the temple. Well, as Judah is toiling away, building the temple, God 
delivers yet another sermon to them through Haggai. And the essence of the sermon is essentially this. While proximity to holiness doesn't make you holy, proximity to evil can make you unholy. And so God goes on to teach them and us by extension. And if you're holy, God will bless you beyond your ability. But if you're unholy, he will make you wither and fade. So this is a message really about where is our strength found? What is our ultimate resource if we are going to grow spiritually mature? It's not ourselves. It's not the political establishment. It's God. And as we obey him and subject ourselves to him, we will grow. So if you want to flourish like a green plant, like those plants my grandpa Brian was able to make grow beautiful, you need to draw close to the Lord. So there's a few lessons here for us to consider. I'm going to start by reading Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 and following. So there's a date. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, that's the Persian king that had released them, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests. So the priests were those that oversaw the religious practices. We call this the cultists of Israel, the sacrificial system. Ask the priests about the law. And this is the question he wants them to ask. If someone carries holy meat, that is meat that's been offered to God, in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold, so not the meat, but the fold, touches bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? Now, this is kind of an interesting question. But we'll unpack it in a moment. And the priests answered and said, no, that's not how it works. So then Haggai said, okay, well, I got a second question for you. If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priests answered and said, it does become unclean. So what's going on here? Well, first, let me just share with you what the overall message is, and then we'll try to unpack this a little bit more. The message that Haggai is using by asking these two questions, by giving these two analogies, essentially what he wants us to consider is to be careful what you associate with. So both of these analogies are analogies about association. And they're meant to portray Israel's past history and present circumstances. So he goes back and there's some knowledge you sort of have to have behind the scenes. The people of God would offer animal sacrifices to God. They would literally take the choice members of their flock. They would bring that to the, to the tabernacle or the temple. It would be sacrificed and that meat would be considered holy. And according to Leviticus, let's say it was tucked in the fold of the priest's garment, the, full, the, the garment itself would be holy, but the holiness only transferred so far. If the garment then touched something else, it didn't become holy. So the idea here is that holiness doesn't necessarily automatically transfer to that which is unholy. You're following me? But then the second illustration is a little bit different. 
And you know, there were ritual laws in place that if you touch certain things, you were considered ritually unclean for a period of time and you had to remove yourself from the people or you had to go through some ritual washings to be purified. And the second question then is, well, if someone touches a dead body and that person, does that person become unclean? So if you have that which is unclean and it's touched by someone who otherwise isn't unclean, does that person become unclean? And the priests say, yeah, that's true. So holiness doesn't automatically transfer to unholiness, but interestingly, unholiness very quickly transfers to unholiness. Now, the date of this passage is important. Two more months had passed since last week's sermon. The people were still vigorously serving. And Haggai comes to them and he wants them as they're serving the Lord to think a little bit about not just bricks and mortar and doing what God asks you to do and serving the Lord and showing up on time and obeying him, but he wants them to start to think a little more profoundly, a little more deeply about their walk with the Lord, their relationship with the Lord, about holiness. And that's why we have these two illustrations that are given here, which are meant to be analogies of God's people. God's people are to be symbolized in the holy meat. God's people had been set apart as holy unto God, but they had done a poor job in the past of passing that holiness on, of living that holiness out. Instead, they had become unclean by allowing moral corruption into their ranks. This is a problem for every generation of believers, by the way. There's always a temptation for us to allow unholiness into our ranks, immorality into our ranks, godless thinking into our ranks. And so as I've already stated, the lesson that Haggai wants them to consider is don't make the mistake of assuming that because you're hanging with holy people or necessarily participating in holy activities that you're necessarily a holy person. It doesn't work that way. But on the other hand, ongoing contact with unholiness will inevitably make you unholy. You know, when it comes to sin in our lives, unholiness, what's God's solution? To acknowledge it, to confess it, to repent of it, meaning to walk away from it, to change our thinking about it, and to live the way that God has designed us to live. That's God's plan. It's not that difficult to understand, right? It's pretty straightforward. If I have sin in my life or we have sin in our church, we don't bury it, we don't hide it, we don't pretend it doesn't exist. We don't take the mindset that so many churches take today, well, we don't practice church discipline, we don't wanna be judgmental. We just wanna love everybody. And then they take definitions of the world, and that's how they define love, which is basically passive indifference. This is not the way God's people are supposed to function. If I become aware that there's sin in my life or sin in my marriage or sin in my family or sin in my church, I'm supposed to deal with that. 
I listen to God's word preached. I'm like, you're right, Lord. We're doing wrong. We're speaking wrong. We're acting wrong. We have bad attitudes, whatever it might be. And we're like, we agree with you that it's wrong. We repent of it and we make things right. But as simple as that is, many people miss the mark. And instead they think, well, I know I got all this sin in my life, but I go to church every week. I mean, I'm in proximity to holy people. I hang around good people. I'm in church. Like, look at me. Don't I get some brownie points for that? I get a nice old gold gilded Bible sitting at my coffee table. I even read it a couple times a week. I pray before I eat. Like, well, you know, don't judge me for all my sin because I'm in proximity. Come on. I'm in proximity to holy meat. Kind of hanging around it. Well, this error of thinking often leads righteous people to allow sin to build up in their lives. And over time, they take a spiritual nosedive. Some of them even abandon the faith. So what is God's goal for us? God's goal is not 50% obedience. God's goal for us is complete surrender. And even if we haven't fully attained it, we all need to be in hot pursuit of it, relentlessly, without fail. So I'm not suggesting that in this life we're ever going to get to a point where we're absolutely perfect and pure. But we can get to a point today where we are in hot pursuit of that and we are relentless in dealing with sin. So let's not make the mistake of externalizing our faith and just assuming because we're going through the motions and doing the right things, because we're sort of in proximity to holiness, it must just automatically transfer over to us. Instead, we need to deal relentlessly with sin in our lives. This was Israel's problem. Previously, they had the temple. Like, hey, we got a temple. No one else has a temple like ours. We have the, the word of God. They had the Torah at the time, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, some of the prophetic works, some of the Psalms. Hey, look at us. We got God on our side. But at the same time, they tried to syncretize true faith with all the worldviews and perspectives that the nations around them believed in and propagated. And that's what made them corrupt. There there are only a very few windows of time in Israel's history where they literally had forgotten about God. One of them was just leading up to the reign of Josiah. Remember Josiah, he becomes the king at the age of eight and someone's rooting around in the temple and they're like, oh, we found this weird book. What is it? It's the scrolls of Moses. Wow, nobody's seen this for a few generations. But for the most part, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like they didn't know God. Nobody was going to the temple. They weren't doing anything right. It's that they were trying to blend the philosophies of the world with the philosophies or the the truth of God's word. And this became absolutely poisonous for them. I've given this illustration before. If you had a glass of water and a bottle of poison and you were thirsty, which one would you drink? The water, right? But what if you had a glass of water and a bottle of poison and just a capful or two of poison in your water? Which one then would you drink? 
The answer is neither. Why? Well, it's mostly water, but yeah, no thanks. If there's any poison in it whatsoever, I ain't drinking the stuff. Because we know that the smallest amount of poison, even in something that otherwise might nourish us, will destroy us. The same in our faith. If we allow a little bit of poison in our lives, lying, cheating, stealing, gossip, sexual immorality, idolatry, materialism, cowardice, poisons the whole thing. Poisons the whole thing. So proximity to the church isn't enough. And as you just think about this in relationship to your own life, just ask, is it possible there's compromise in my own life that I need to deal with, that I've allowed to fester for too long? It might be the sin of materialism, just living for the world, living for the paycheck, living for this life, just trying your best to be comfortable. It could be idolatry, trusting in chariots, kings, and horses. It could be sexual immorality. If these things are present in your life, deal with them now. Deal with them now. The sermon continues. Haggai answered, this is verse 14. Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider, so he's just analyzing them up till now, consider from this day onward. In other words, okay, if, if it's true of you that there's impurity in your life, deal with it, but today's a new day. From this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? Oh, not so well. We had those paneled houses, but we were still under attack from our enemies. We were still vulnerable. We were still fearful. We were still far from you, Lord. It goes on to say, when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. This is God's math. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Haggai wants us to know that God is not passive in his rebuke. You see, before they began obeying the Lord and rebuilding the temple, they had engaged in a lot of efforts to try to succeed, to try to advance themselves, but somehow they always came up short. Life was always futile. It's like people that own everything. You've met people like this, maybe you're one of them. You own a lot of stuff. If you assess your life objectively, you're like, I, I have it pretty good. I have my vehicles, I have my house, I have my investments, I got the family going on, I got the family dog, I got the family gerbil. I got the clothes, I got the money in the bank. Why is it that my life so often feels kind of empty? Why is it that I, I never seem to really be able to reap what I've sown to get what I think I've earned. I mean, I counted it up. There used to be 
$20,000 in my investments, and now there's but 10. I thought I had 50 of those, but now I only have 20, whatever it might be. So often, people that have everything the world has to offer are still stressed, bored, addicted, broken, depressed, and angry. Folks, I don't know if you've studied history too much, but we have it pretty good. From compared to historical standards, we have it pretty good. But look at our world. Mental illness is everywhere. Depression is everywhere. Broken marriages are everywhere. Fear is everywhere. Why? Judgment of God. This is God's math. You can count up all your pennies and then count them again and they're a lot less than what you counted the first time. Why? Because God takes them away. What happens when we fail to consecrate our lives to the Lord? Well, behind the scenes, God starts to remove blessings. Okay, you want to live, you want to live for yourself? I'm going to take some peace away from you. You want to pursue money endlessly, compromising yourself? I'm going to start reducing your paycheck. You want to live for the pleasures of this world? All those vacations you've planned, all those retirement dreams you've set up, I'm going to make them far less than enjoyable. Saw the flyer, the trip looked pretty good, but it wasn't. Saved up my coin, thought I could retire at 55. My investments dropped. Uh, it must just be the economy. Or it could be that God is behind the scenes disciplining you because he loves you. He doesn't want you to be satisfied and content with the things of this life. A lot of times people ask the question, why am I suffering? Well, there's a lot of reasons in the Bible why God permits suffering. But one of those many reasons is because sometimes we've forgotten God. And God's disciplining us. In fact, I believe God is disciplining our nation. The trucker convoy is super cool, but it won't fix our nation. What this nation needs is to repent. And you know where it starts? It starts right here. It starts with the people of God. It starts with those that declare that he is their king. If we're the ones that say he's our king, but we're not letting him be our king, how do we expect the world to surrender to his kingship? One of the most fascinating books of the Bible is the book of Ecclesiastes. It's part of a corpus of literature in the Bible called the wisdom literature. It's meant to help us to live skillfully. And when you're reading through Ecclesiastes, you're like, man, this, this is kind of depressing. Because what Solomon, the writer, does is he, he observes life from a very pragmatic perspective. The cycles, the rhythms of life, all streams, he says, flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. From the place where the streams come, there they return again, round and round they go, ever returning on their course. He's just drawing, people are born, people die. And he keeps throughout his book saying the same thing, under the sun, under the sun, from an under the sun perspective. He says, life is futile, life is meaningless, life is vanity. You're like, man, why am I reading this? I thought reading the Bible was supposed to encourage me. I, go, I feel like ending my life. 
Because what he's trying to help us to understand is that when we look at life just from a horizontal, under the sun perspective, those are the logical conclusions that we all draw. It's just kind of bleh. I mean, yeah, there's a few highs, but it, it's just endless work, endless toil. Life seems futile. This is why we, we hear stories every once in a while of celebrities, you know, with hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers, all kinds of money in the bank and multiple properties taking their own lives. How is that possible? You're like, oh, I'd love to be them. Because they've come face to face, just like Solomon did, with the fact that riches and material possessions and the things of this world are not qualified to satisfy the deepest needs of our souls. Only God can do that. And so we are called in scripture to surrender ourselves to him. And when we don't, God is not passive in his rebuke. Some of the common temptations that distract us though, especially in our culture include passivity to evil. Well, it's just the world within which we live. Yeah, I've heard all the abortion stuff. Yeah, it's kind of bad, but whatever. I got to go to Timmy's to get a coffee. Just kind of passive in our response to evil. Passing the buck onto the clergy. Let's cheer Aaron on. Yeah, and then we'll go back to doing our own thing. Let someone else do it. Passionless witness, passionless worship. I don't want to offend anybody. These are common temptations that, that cause us to, to compromise. And God graciously actually disciplines us, slaps us around a little bit, helps us to understand how destructive these deeds are. The language of the text is interesting. He says, with blight and with mildew and with hail. That's how God punished them. As they pursued physical wealth, he punished them physically. Their stuff rotted, got moldy. Hail destroyed their grain. Yet you did not turn to me. You know, God can make our physical environment very uncomfortable until we turn back to him. Sometimes our God's discipline is very internal. Lack of peace. Lack of joy. Other times it can be disease. Death. The destruction of an economy. The sudden disappearance of your RRSPs because of a financial crash. We need to take stock and make sure that there's nothing in our lives that God views as being unholy and worthy of his discipline. Haggai continues, consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. The time of the year was the time of the year where the, the seeds were not in the barn. They were actually already planted in late December, and they were waiting for them to come up. So they'd put it all on the line, so to speak. They'd already put the seed in the ground. And the question is, would God bless them 
with a harvest. The message that God wants his people to consider is to know that God will bless obedience. He wants you to know that. God, God will punish disobedience, but folks, God will. He really will. He will bless your obedience. Don't be afraid of obeying him. He will bless your obedience. In the past, when the seed went in the ground, it's like, I don't know what's gonna happen. The crop might come up or the crop might fail. I know we don't think about this much because we just go to grocery stores. But people in past generations had to think about this kind of stuff. Is the seed gonna come up? They didn't have to worry about that now because they were living in obedience to God. God said, from this day forward, I'm gonna bless your faithfulness. And he puts a date on it. It almost reads like a legal contract. Dated, signed, and sealed. On this date, here's my promise to you, signed God. So you can trust it. He dismisses their debt. He doesn't make them grovel. With repentance comes renewal. With repentance comes renewal. Folks, with your repentance comes renewal. God is not mean-spirited. It's not like, I need you to repent. And then I want you to crawl around on the ground like my little knave for a while. And every once in a while, I'm going to step on your fingers. Spit on you. No. With repentance comes renewal. He dismisses their debt. The seed was in the ground. They had nothing to worry about. There was no guessing game. Not with God. The blessing of God's presence is that God guarantees his blessings. You know, the scripture is chocked full the promises of God. There's an old hymn, standing on the promises of God. The promises of God are so beautiful. They're so life-giving. And there are literally hundreds of them in the scriptures. But I just want to read a few of them for you just to encourage your heart from different passages of the, the Bible, from the Old Testament, from the New Testament. There, there are many more, but what are some of the blessings that God guarantees you that he guarantees me when we obey him? How about this one in Isaiah 41.10? Fear not. Anybody struggling with fear these days? You can put your finger up. Maybe your pinky. You know, it's a little unsettling in our world. God says, fear not, for I am with you. Anybody dismayed? A little depressed? He says, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I know you heard it, but do you believe it? It's true. God is our source of strength and comfort. Here's another one really well known. Philippians 4.19, and my God, personal God, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry about provision for tomorrow for living in obedience. God's got it. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, kind of repeating himself there, isn't he? You may abound in every good work. So we have God's strength, we have God's supply, and we have all the grace that we need to endure. All of it. We'll never come up short with God. Ephesians 1.8, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All the spiritual blessings, the comfort, the peace during the, the tumultuous times of life, the eternal perspective, 
the awareness that we are saved, our salvation is secure, and God has a plan for us to enter into his eternal kingdom one day. There's a house with our name already scrolled across the door. These are the promises of God. This is why I've been saying it is a great time to be a Christian. Why is it a great time to be a Christian? Not because the world's great, but we don't trust in the world. This is, this is a good time to be a Christian because as the structures of society teeter and crumble, as our jobs get a little shaky, as we're threatened with the potential of dying from a deadly virus, as people hurl insults at us, it reminds us this world ain't my home. My ultimate hope is Christ. And what we've seen in the last two years is all of this stuff come true. We've seen God strengthen us in ways we didn't imagine. We've seen God provide for every need. We've seen God's grace being poured out. We've seen spiritual blessings. It's a great time to be a Christian. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We're gonna have another full baptistry on February the 20th. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. People are coming out of the closet they're supposed to be coming out of and sharing their faith and worshiping boldly and surrendering themselves to the Lord. It's a great time to be a Christian. God is providing for his people. We're still here. 99.9999999999% of us are still here. Imagine that. It's a great time to be a Christian. Faithful Christians are flourishing. Unfaithful ones, sadly, and we don't wish this upon them, but it's God's way of working, are living in shame. They really are. Unfaithful Christians are living in shame. You can't tell me that status Christians are flourishing and growing and enjoying warm communion with God right now. No way. No way. Life stinks for them. And it's going to continue to stink until they submit themselves to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, Jesus reminded us in Luke 9, 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That's what awaits those that are ashamed of Christ, that are too scared to speak the truth, that are too scared to lose their job on principle, that are too terrified to actually say, um, that's a lie. That are too afraid to say, you know, I'm not going to participate in wickedness because it's too hard. I'm going to let someone else do that. There are many like that in our world today that say they know Christ. May we not be among them, but rather may we be courageous and bold for Christ and live large for him and never present ourselves as perfect, but definitely we want to present ourselves as in hot pursuit of the perfection that God has called us to live out. So be encouraged by these words. God is working. We can anticipate even greater things in the weeks and months and years to come as we consecrate ourselves to the Lord. God will bless. I'm telling you folks, he will bless us. He's already blessed us. Let's thank him for that. 